I want to look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. And as we look at this, uh, I kind of have three things that I think you're going to see and, and I want you to take note of, and hopefully it'll help bring together my scatterbrained teaching style. So uh, the first thing is you're going to see dirty dogs. Okay, weird. Okay, yes, moving on. Uh, you're going to see rubbish religion, second. And you're going to see our righteous redeemer, Jesus, third. And in light of all of those things, you're going to see how much better Jesus is. So that's my main goal, my thesis statement, if you will, at the beginning here. I want you to see those, and I want you to see how much better Jesus is than religion. First of all, though, I'm going to read a little bit of something here, and maybe I won't read the whole thing, but uh, have you guys ever heard of a disease called scurvy? If you're familiar with it, it was this disease, or so they thought, uh, that sailors battled, and actually, it wiped out for centuries. It, they they didn't know what caused it. It wiped out civilizations and people, and and caused them to struggle a bit. And um, but let me read here to you. It says scurvy is an ancient disease. Its principal cause is now known to be an ascorbic acid, which is vitamin C deficiency. But when scurvy devastated civilizations such as Egypt, Greece, and Rome, no one suspected that the deadly plague was caused by a diet diet of inadequate nutrients. Scurvy influenced the course of history, especially the destiny of nations who depended upon military might, because rations during military campaigns and long ocean voyages seldom contained adequate amounts of vitamin C. Armies and navies were devastated by as much as 50 percent. Between 1556 and 1857, for example, more than 100 scurvy epidemics spread through Europe. They were thinking it was this terrible plague the first clue to the treatment of the disease, it occurred during Jacques Cartier's arrival in Newfoundland in 1536. The first explorer was advised by the native Indians to give his men, who were dying from an epidemic, a potion made from spruce tree needles. The foliage, rich in vitamin C, cured, almost, uh, cured most members of Cartier's crew. Although numerous indications began to appear that linked scurvy with diet, this knowledge had to be rediscovered many times until the 19th century. Um, goes on to talk about a few different things. A uh, British naval commander who he began to th- realize what it was and say, you know, you need to begin to introduce these fruit into your, the diets of your men. But nobody really paid any mind to him. Uh, but it was a little few years later, actually, 62 years later after he brings this up, the British Navy, they did adopt this procedure, and it, uh, Captain Cook successfully avoided scurvy altogether on three voyages by simply having his men have some citrus juice. So what I want to take away from that is we look at that and we go, man, that seems so stupid. Like, how could they not realize that? Kind of makes you wonder, though, how many other diseases we have today going around that maybe it's not a disease at all. Maybe it is some sort of deficiency, some sort of lack in our diet or some sort of intake that we aren't taking in. Uh, or maybe we're taking something in that we shouldn't be taking in, you know. You never know. But I specifically want to deal with this idea of this deficiency and, and propose to you that it's very similar in our spiritual lives that we can have a spiritual deficiency 
and not realize it, and yet it crops up in different ways to where we think, oh, it's just scurvy. It's just, knock my pen over. It's just this uh, cause. It's just something. It's just the way it goes. We don't, we don't realize the cause and effect relationship. Sorry, I'm kind of feeding back, I think. Um, so what I want to say is in our Christian life, this is usually and almost always because of a lack of the gospel, a deficiency of the gospel being applied appropriately in our lives. And I think this is because I've heard it said we treat the gospel as if in the life of faith, the Christian life, we enter into this area of faith and we go into the building and the first door on the right is the gospel. And we go through that door and then we're in the building and we leave it behind us. And rather than realize the gospel is actually the entire building. And we don't just enter in and leave it, but we enter into this whole building that is the gospel, that is Jesus, that is centered around Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And that then pours over, trickles down, if you will, into every little area, into your relationships, into areas of struggle and sin, into temptations and trials and suffering, all of a sudden it has meaning and purpose and, and cure, solution. But what areas perhaps in your life, leaving you with this thought for a moment, are a deficiency of the gospel spiritually? There's an emptiness, there's a complete void of the gospel. And it could come down to something as glaring at this moment as salvation itself. You don't know Jesus. You don't love Jesus. And we're going to take a moment and look at some of the, the symptoms of things that uh, or indications that you don't know him or you don't love him or you don't know him as much as you, sh- you could know him. And because you don't know him as much as you could, because you are not uh, day by day seeing how that applies to the rest of your life, not just the door you walked in and left behind, but the entire building of your life, of the gospel being in your life. Uh, you're, you're having these things that it's like if you just had vitamin C, you wouldn't have scurvy. If you just had the gospel in that area of your life, you wouldn't have this sin cropping up. You wouldn't have these relational problems like you do, at least from your end. So, that's my... Uh, my premise here. Philippians 3.1 says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write to you the same things to you, uh, same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. We'll stop there for a second. Paul, in his apostolic, pastoral, loving heart, is writing this letter. And Philippians is really, it's a book all about joy. And not joy as we would esteem it, like I'm really happy I get to go to Disneyland or something, but joy in the midst of suffering and trials. Paul, in many of his letters, is writing from prison, chained up to a guard because of the gospel. People didn't like him. And some people today would even say, well, if that's in your life, then obviously God doesn't love you. And some were probably saying that of him then. It's a, it's a sign that God isn't blessing you. God must be really disappointed with you. And Paul here, he writes to them, he says, it's not a big deal for me to write the same thing to you because it's safe. 
And I want to make sure that you, I, I stress this point. I can't overstress how important this point is. And we'll see what his point is. But he says, first of all, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. In this context here, he, when he's saying dogs, I'm sure you understand, but he's not using that as a compliment or it's not a, a sign of affection. It's not like today when you walk around and you're like, what's up, dog? It's not, it's not that. Paul is not talking about his homeboys out on the street. He's talking about guys who oppose the work of the gospel and don't even know it, much like Paul did. If you remember, when he was Saul, he was persecuting the church, thinking he was doing the will of God, thinking that that was exactly what he was supposed to do. He was there as Stephen, the first martyr, was put to death and throwing his hand in, you know, his vote in with that. This is something he lived with for the rest of his life, realizing what a mistake he had made. And these are the same kind of people he's talking to or talking about here. He's saying, beware of these dogs, these evil workers, these evildoers. Beware of the mutilation. What does he mean by that? What is a mutilation? It has to do with the idea in the Jewish culture there of circumcision. It goes back to Abraham and God. God making a covenant with Abraham. He told him that through his seed, he would bless all of the nations. They would be blessed. And Paul makes an argument or, uh, later on, but says, you know, he doesn't say seeds as in many, but seed, referring to one. He's talking about Jesus in the Old Testament even. You might go, well, the Old Testament has nothing to do with the New Testament. Those are two separate things. Maybe you've heard that. No, it does. It all points to Jesus. So God makes his covenant with Abraham, and part of that covenant was this rite of circumcision. So Abraham, as this old man, has to do this. Kind of pity him. And then the Hebrew people after that did that every, uh, for every child, every male child that was born on the eighth day, they would be circumcised. That was considered like the best day. And it represented, what it originally represented was the covenant God made, the promise God made. But they turned it into a legalistic ritual uh, that this thing made them righteous. And so, consequently, after Jesus came, and we realized that Jesus came, and he said, I didn't come to, uh, to uh, destroy the law, but to fulfill it, which, in effect, kind of doesn't destroy, but it, it takes away these needs, these things, these rights and covenants and things that God had originally established. If you don't believe me, in, in the Old Testament as well, God says to them much later on, he says, um, I, behold, I'm going to do something completely new. If I told you, you wouldn't believe. But I'm going to write my law on your heart. He's saying this because you can't fulfill it. He's saying, all along, you were supposed to realize you couldn't do this. You were incapable. You were sinners, and the law was simply there. It was a mirror to show you your sinfulness. If I wanted to wash my face, I would go look in a mirror, and I would look for the dirt, and I would look for how to get that off. And Taking that analogy further, Jesus is that water that washes, that makes us clean. So, Paul, these people, though, these, the mutilation, those who mutilate the flesh, maybe as some of your versions say, uh, these were, they were known as the Judaizers. And these were people who claimed to be Christians, but went around and they taught that in order to be a Christian, it's Jesus plus circumcision. And Jesus plus still obey all the laws. Jesus plus the Ten Commandments, Jesus plus the 613 laws of the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled. 
Anything that is Jesus plus anything else, I've heard it said, it ruins everything. Understand that. Anything Jesus plus anything else, Jesus plus anything else ruins everything. And maybe you don't believe me, but hopefully I can persuade you in the power of the Holy Spirit before we're through here. So these people, these, these religious people, they would pursue Paul. Anytime he went to a town, they would follow him. Anytime that he taught a sermon or preached to people, he would, they would preach something else to contradict him. They would grab people. They would come into the fellowship falsely, saying they were, they were brothers and sisters of, uh, of the faith. And they would then pull people aside, and they would lead them astray, doing evil work. The work of a dog. Like I was saying, in that culture, a dog was not considered a furry man's best friend kind of a guy, kind of a thing. It was, it was basically a wolf that ran around in the street and ate corpses and did its business in the street and procreated in public and just disgusting things. They, they were gross. They were foul animals to them. That's why it's so insulting for him to say, beware of these dogs. This mutilation that goes around. All they do is they go around seeking their own, seeking their own glory, seeking to draw you to them, not to Jesus, to bring you into bondage to the law and thereby make you have to seek them in order to, to get to God is pretty much it. They wanted power. They wanted control. They were basically branching out from the Pharisees. So Paul says, beware of these people. I'm writing to you again. It's no big deal for me to say this again. It's safe for you. Beware of these people. And I think if he wrote it then, we need to realize that this is still applicable. The scripture is timeless. It's not some old book that is no longer applicable. It's timeless. It's just as relevant. It's just as applicable today. We just need to understand it in its context, uh, how it applies to us today. So he says this. He says, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. And Stop there for a moment. We are the true circumcision. We are the people who, when God said, I will write the law on their heart, says, I will circumcise their heart. I will cut away that dead, lifeless skin, and I will give them a new heart. I will take out their heart of stone, the tablets of stone, representing the law that they could never obey. And I will put in a, a heart that is sensitive, that feels, that knows, that can actually love and respond to God. And he says, we who believe in Jesus, we have no confidence in the flesh, in our own works, but trust in Jesus Christ. We're the true circumcision, the heavenly circumcision, if you will. But Paul, to illustrate his point further, he goes, for those of you here who might be thinking, well, but I I don't think you know me. I'm pretty good. God would be so impressed with me. Paul is going to list his resume here. And and recently, I, I told this to the first service, I've been kind of applying for jobs Economy's tight, so I need to, to find another job. Um, still going to lead worship here. Don't worry about that. And hope, or maybe you're glad. I don't know. Maybe maybe you'd be glad if I. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, but have you ever just like looked at your resume and you're like, man, I am not so cool on paper? Because <laughs> I think that's what they think. Like when they get it, they're like, is this guy serious? <laughs> and have you ever just wanted to take somebody else's resume and fill it out on yours and be like, ooh, that. That looks better. Now I've got six doctorates, and, and I'm a ma- I have a master's in seven different things, and, and uh, I've been everywhere in the world twice. 
they're going to be like, oh, I am impressed with this guy. Well, we see this with Paul. He, he gives his own resume. And by, for all intents and purposes, it's immaculate. It's perfect. He says, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. We'll stop there for a second. So he says this, I had the right things done on the right day. I came from the right people. I stood out among the people that I came from. I had everything going for me. I looked really good on paper. I, he took it so far, like the law, he knew the law. You think you know the Bible? This guy, he probably had most of the Old Testament, if not all of it, memorized. Can you say that? You'd be impressed, right? You probably right now are going, man, I'm, I'm a loser. <laughs> That's what I think, you know, when you hear that. And then he says, concerning zeal, some of you are like, oh, but I'm so zealous. I'm really passionate about the Lord. He's like, this is how passionate I was. I persecuted the church because I thought that they were the ones that were opposed to God. I chased them around. I voted for people to be put to death. Don't talk to me about zeal. And then he says, concerning the righteousness in the law, blameless, at least from all external appearances, as the Pharisees gauged righteousness. We can't even say that, right? Have you ever stolen something, even if you were a kid? Boom, condemned. (laughs) It's not just the act itself. It's that the heart to do it was there. You have a corrupt, disease-ridden heart, disease of sin within you. So you look at this and you go, man, Paul, you are impressive. If anybody has the right to brag, he's like, I do. If anybody thinks they're as good as me, at least as good as me, come on, you know, stand up. I want to hear it. But this is, this is the turn here. He says, but what things were gained to me, I have count, these I have counted loss for Christ." Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Here's what he says. He goes, all that stuff I count as loss. He's not just saying it was gain. He's saying, no, literally, it was worthless. I'm not just esteeming it as worthless. It really was. It was absolutely of no value spiritually to me. Because on the outside, he looked good, but on the inside, he was as dead as a doornail. He was, he was lifeless. He had no new life. He didn't have that new heart that God had promised him by being a good person, as he thought. Because here's what he's saying. He's saying, I was the religious, religious guy. I was so religious. I was like these people who chase people around, who chase me around and give me problems. You know, Paul probably felt really bad. He's like, now I can really relate to the people, how they felt when I chased them around. And then Jesus happened. Something happened, it was Jesus. Paul met Jesus. Jesus knocked him on his butt. He was on his way to persecute more people. It's like, what are you doing today? Oh, I'm going to go throw some people in jail. I'm going to persecute them. I'm maybe going to put them to death. Sounds good. See you later, Paul. On the way, Jesus knocks him down. And immediately, he's like, whatever happened, I don't, I don't know who this is, but he's like, who, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. 
That's one of those oh crud moments. Uh oh. You are? Okay. I thought you were dead. I, well, okay. Uh, so what do I do? And Jesus tells him and he makes him a Christian right there. Paul, Paul receives, he believes, completely changed and transformed. And from that moment on, he, he could do nothing but get to know Jesus, to know him better, to know everything there is about him. Because he is the entire building. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the entire building. And every area in our life with, is within that, if we are a Christian. And if we have areas where there is lack, then it is because there is a deficiency to reckon that area as being under the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul, he lists all these things. and goes, but yet indeed I also count all things lost. Not just those, but anything. Anything that would stand in the way of me knowing Jesus is nowhere near as good, is nowhere near as important and valuable as Jesus. And he says, I've, for him I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. That word rubbish, in some of your translations, maybe it says dung. Maybe it says dog dung. I think it's almost a play on, on this thought. Earlier he said, beware of the dogs, these self-righteous religious people. Paul hated religion. Do you realize that? He's saying what religion was, it was dung. It was dog do. So the next time, you know, if you guys have animals and stuff, the next time you walk by, there goes religion. You know, look <laughs> down on the ground. Not something you really want to spend much time with, right? But we, foolish people that we are, sinful hearts that we have, we think, no, God's going to be impressed. I told this to the earlier service. It's like what we have is a pile of dung, and yet we think, oh, but I have a really nice pile. Mine is impressive. I've got two piles, in fact. Mine I've decorated, and it looks pretty. It smells horrible, but it looks great. That is religion in the sight of God. And that Christianity is not religion. Maybe that's a, a new thought to you. Maybe you're here today, and you're like, no, no, it isn't. Yeah, it's, yeah it is. It's, just Christ- it's, it's no different than Islam or Buddhism or any of those. No, here is the difference. All of those religions are about what I can do to get to God. How good can I be? How righteous can I be to impress God with my resume? And God's like, uh, dung, dung, worthless. And you might go, well, where's the good news in this? What? I thought the gospel was, it means good news, right? Everybody agree? Yes. I told this to the first service. I said, it's really a, a case of bad news, but I have good news about the bad news. The bad news is you're a sinner. We all are. No one here can say, well, I am not, because it has to do with the heart. You have to be perfect as Jesus is perfect. Paul was only perfect externally. He looked really good on the outside. But you have to be perfect in thought, word, deed, and motive. You can't just do something and say, well, I meant well. Really? Was your motive good? Was your, were your intentions good? Because God can measure that. God can take your heart and go, uh, I'm going to hold it up against truth. Nope, your, your motive wasn't good. I could stand up here and lead worship, and I'm sure on many occasions I have, and my motive is entirely wrong. 
I want attention or I, I want to sound good or I, I don't know. It's sin. And it's disgusting. Here's why it's disgusting is because Paul recognizes. See, we are worshipers. We are created to be worshipers. And this is how it works. In the beginning, it says God created man, right? And then he created woman from man. And what did it say, though, in, in Genesis? It says that he says, let us create man in our image. We are created in the image and likeness of God to be in relationship and to give glory to God, to bring him glory. That is our purpose here in this life, to glorify God in all that we do. But we rebelled and we decided, I'm going to create my own religion. That's what Satan used. He tempted Adam and Eve with that. He says, no, 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 you're not going to die. You'll be like God. And that's really all religion does, right? You will become the object of worship. You will become the most important, the most powerful, the most prestigious and glory, glorious being. You will have the power. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And he was kind of right, right? He was like, yeah, you'll know good and evil. And they didn't die right away, right? But immediately they knew something was wrong. And we have inherited that original sin. We are born into sin. We are born separated from Jesus Christ. And we recognize somewhere in our hearts that there's this void. We recognize there's a lack and a need, but we can't figure out how to fill it. And so we kind of go one of two ways. We go with religion, the approach Paul took. I'm going to be so good, God is going to look at my resume and he's going to be so impressed. Or we go the other way. I'm just going to find something to fill the void. So we turn toward sin or we turn toward hobbies or we turn toward relationships. And we worship that guy or that girl we worship that friend. The, the truth is that we are uh, compulsive, incessant worshipers. If you stopped worshiping Jesus today, right now, you would not cease to be a worshiper. Do you understand that? You would go and worship someone or something else. It's what Romans chapter 1 talks about when it says that proclaiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the truth of God for the lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator God. It requires a few things that, that happen for us to become idolaters, to worship idols. And I'm not talking about little statues sitting on the wall. I'm not talking about um, that, that little you know, thing and it's only in India or something. Now there's where the real idolatry is. No talking about anything in your life that you esteem as greater, more glorious than Jesus Christ, than knowing him. So, in order to do it, we have to kill the truth, we exchange the truth for the lie, we receive the lie and we say, that sounds better, I like that a lot more. And you guys, you know what this is. Um, Have you ever wanted to do something like, I want to buy a new car, and your spouse is like, no, we can't afford it. Well, but I'll just get a loan. No, we we don't want to go into debt. Well, okay. And then you talk to someone else. No, I don't think that's very wise. No, I'm going to go get a fifth opinion. (laughs) So you go on. Finally, someone says, you deserve this. This is what you, you go ahead and do it. All right. Now I've heard what I want to hear and I'm I'm absolutely satisfied with that. You've exchanged the truth for the lie. You've made the ultimate, most foolish trade you possibly can. And now... What is it for? So that you can worship and serve someone or something else, right? Bible says, talks about do not fornicate. That is any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage. 
well, I don't really believe that's what it says. I'm going to ignore the truth. I'm going to find somebody that says, no, I don't feel that guilty about it anymore. I used to, but not, not anymore. That's not a good sign, right? You guys uh, talking of diseases and whatnot, might as well throw another one in there. Leprosy. You know what it is? It, your, your flesh rots off your body. It was very prevalent in Jesus' day. But what it is, is you begin to go numb, and you don't feel anything. And you begin to knock your hand against something, cut it, and you don't feel it. And it begins to get gangrenous and rot away. If you're a person and you're steeped in sin and you're like, well, I don't feel that bad about it, that should be an indication something's really wrong. If you came into the hospital and you had broken bones all over and you're like, no, I'm fine, I don't feel anything. It's not whether you feel it that determines whether or not a bone is broken, right? It's whether it's broken. So Jesus comes along and he exposes this light on us. We find out that we're all worshipers and we're meant to worship God, but we've exchanged that truth for the lie. We worship and serve the created thing rather than the creator God. Paul does the 180 and he says, all of those things that I once worshipped, for him it was religion, for you it might be something else. Those I counted as loss. Those were dung. Those were dog do sitting by the road because he realized how worthless they were to accomplish anything effective for righteousness sake and he says this in verse 9 after he says that i may gain christ and be found in him not having my own righteousness which is from the law but that which is through faith in christ the righteousness which is from god by faith again salvation by grace through faith his righteousness is ours what he's saying is is essentially he's saying that resume i had I threw it away, and I got a new one that just says Jesus Christ on it. So when I hand that to God, and he says, well, you know, why should I let you in? Jesus Christ. That's all I'm going to say. That's all there is to say. If you are here and you think, well, but I'm also going to say, because I I didn't really want to believe in Jesus, and I didn't really like what he had to say about certain things, so I created my own God and my own idol, and I worshiped and served that thing rather than God. But I'm going to say, but I was still pretty good. I didn't murder anybody. Come on. What's the big deal? No, you were separated from God. You stand opposed to him. He is perfect and holy and righteous and cannot dwell with sin. But he loved us so much that he created a way for us to have redemption. But the only way was that someone righteous would die in our place. Jesus. That is the greatest, most profound mystery. And if it doesn't just blow our minds when we think about that the God of the universe would step out of eternity into time, become a man familiar with all of our ways, all of our weaknesses, but without sin. All because he loved us. While we were not lovely, by the way, he didn't love you because you were awesome. (laughs) Hate to break it to you. He didn't love you because you were impressive or you were the cutest. I know your parents may have told you that since birth. Maybe you were cute. In light of eternity, it doesn't really matter. He loved us because he is love. He loved us because he is a gracious creator. And while he should have wiped us out, because that's probably what any of us would have done, he chose to love us. And he did it by sending his own son to become fully man. He wasn't just part man, part God. He was fully man while still maintaining his Godship. But everything he did, he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that he could then say to us, I did it all by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why when he says, you will do greater things than these. 
talking to the, the disciples and, and his followers, even the things that I have done, he's saying, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, I've said this before, but uh, I heard it. It's said by a guy, everything that Jesus ever did, he never did. And what does that mean? Well, think about it for a moment. What it's saying is, we want to think of Jesus as, well, he was God, so he used his magical God powers, and he, everything he did, he just faked it. Like he was Clark Kent, just pretending like he wasn't Superman, and it wasn't a big deal for him to do these, these feats that seemed amazing to us. No, he was fully man. He was fully reliant upon the Spirit of God in order to, to do what he did. So everything he, he did was done by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that then he could say to us, I'm giving you that same Spirit. Do you realize it was the power of God and the Holy Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead? Do you realize that that same power, if you are a Christian, who has repented of your sin and turned to Jesus, that same power lives in you? To overcome sin, to endure in trials and suffering, to worship God blamelessly. Here, here's kind of what I want to get back around to. Here's the, where our deficiency is, is in knowing Jesus and knowing what he has done. And Paul, in this little section here, he's going to hit the points of the gospel, and you may not even realize it. In verse 10, he says, That I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. He says, know him. He kind of goes in reverse. Conform to his death. Fellowship of his sufferings. Jesus was suffered in our place. He, he, he was beaten and battered and bruised and lived as a human being. He rose again. The power of his resurrection. I, I often say this. like He could have come and he could have died for our sins and then just left us. But he also rose again to new life, conquering death giving us new life. But yet we treat it as if it's not that big a deal. We don't see it as that important. Just like the sailors with scurvy, they didn't want to believe, oh yeah, stupid uh, lemon? Yeah, you're telling me it's going to cure this disease that I have? Sure. Do you know other diseases like like rickets, which is like a bone um, weakness disease? It's a vitamin D deficiency. All because of vitamin D. If you just had that vitamin, you wouldn't have this, this problem. Well, Our spiritual disease is sin. Our spiritual inclination is toward legalism or idolatry. Both are idolatry, really. And what we need is Jesus Christ. We need to know him. We don't need to be looking on, I need to become a better person so that I can impress God with my resume, and and then he he will let me into heaven, and, and that's just what good Christians do. And That's not it at all. You've entirely missed the gospel. We want to be Christians who live the gospel. It's not, like I said, just the door. It's the entire building. It's everything. When you go out and you leave this place today, are you aware of the power of the gospel in your life? Are you aware that the swear words you were saying at your spouse last night or this morning as you were getting ready, you could, you could overcome that. Not because you would be a better person, because you would be you'd absolutely be wrecked by the power of Jesus Christ. You would look at him and you would just say, how can I not respond to him with a life that is so thankful? How can I not be touched by what he has done for me? That it would transform you. Spiritually, in in theology, we call this 
Justification and sanctification. Justification that Jesus died for my sins. He took my place. He rose again. Before God the Father, I stand righteous because of Jesus. Right? I am saved once and for all by Jesus Christ. And sanctification is the whole process afterward where out of response to what Jesus has done for me, my life is transformed. But we want to reverse it. We want to flip it upside down and we want to say, I am justified because I am sanctified. Get where I'm going with that? I am righteous before God because of all the good things I do. We want to make it about us. But the Bible really isn't about us. And that might surprise you that I would say that. It's really not. It's really about Jesus. There's this whole thing I I told first service too. I said, I wanted to read this thing, but I thought it would take too long. But scripture, just pointing out from the Old Testament to, to the New Jesus, when he's walking on the road to Emmaus, when he encounters his disciples, a couple of them, after he rose from the dead, and they don't recognize him because he was, it was hidden from them who he was. And he asks them, what's up? Why so glum, chums? You know, kind of a thing. And they're like, are you the only guy, the only guy in the whole world who doesn't know what just happened? Jesus, who was a righteous man, he was presented and verified and validated by miracles. He was put to death by lawless men. How could you miss out on this? How, how did you not know? And, and at this point, they, they had heard that he had risen, but they hadn't seen him. And so he says to them, Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all you know, that has been spoken. And it says, beginning with Moses, he took them through the scriptures. And he showed them how it was all about him. And you're thinking, well, I don't ever see the name Jesus unless you count the book of Joshua, which was like an Old Testament Hebrew name for Jesus. But that was a guy's name. But everything, not just types of Jesus, but it was all about Jesus. It was all from the beginning pointing to Jesus. And that's why I'm saying Jesus' name a lot. I'm not, not just talking in general about some vague God. I'm talking about Jesus. Because it, it glorifies God the Father that we worship Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. That is what we need. That is your greatest need in this life. And that's why Paul says, he says here in verse 10, that I may know him. And then within that is, and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. This is all part of knowing him. And we don't like that. We, we may be like the power of the resurrection. That part's awesome. And usually you can tell like a church or a Christian when they, they just want to err on only one, one of these points. They, they just want to focus in on, well, yeah, we got power. And we'll never suffer, you know. That's not true. Jesus said, if they hated you, or if they hated me, they hate you. They will hate you. If they betrayed me, they will betray you. The servant is not greater than his master. Jesus is our master. If we claim that Jesus is our master, then we need to to not be surprised when trials and hardships come because of the gospel. Now, if you're just a jerk and you're like, ah, people just hate me. Um, I think it's because I'm persecuted. No, maybe you're just a jerk. (laughs) Maybe you need to repent of that. Uh, I like the saying, um, we, we often will blame it on our personalities. Well, I'm type A or I'm type B or I'm type... Uh, one guy says, my personality type is J-E-R-K. You know, it's like, no, that's not, <laughs> that's not an excuse. If, if we are in sin, then we need to repent. We don't need to blame it on something and excuse our behavior. What we need is Jesus Christ to absolutely revolutionize, transform our lives from the inside out 
But if, if you want to be religious and you want to be like Paul and say, no, I don't really want to take what Jesus has done for me, I would much rather do it myself. I think I'm far more impressive of a person anyway. I mean, what did he ever do? All he did was get killed. I can do better than that. <laughs> That's really the attitude we hold, isn't it? We don't esteem him rightly. If he is the God of the universe and all we think of him is as a man who got murdered and maybe or didn't, maybe not, you know, rose from the dead. Or we think, yeah, he's, he's my savior, but he isn't my Lord. Or he's my Lord, but he isn't my savior. A lot of people will say, Jesus was a, a great man, a great teacher. Yeah, I think he's Lord. Well, is he your savior? Have you put your faith in what he's done or are you still putting your faith in your own foolish ways? Like I said, we are ceaseless worshipers. We are going to worship someone or something. And if you aren't worshiping Jesus, you are worshiping something or someone else. For young guys and girls, it's usually relationships. For some people, it's pornography. For others, it's drinking. For others, it's drugs. And it's not always bad things either. Sometimes, it's you worship your family. You would much rather sacrifice everything in your life for your family. And that's an indication of what you worship is what you sacrifice for. Because we're finite creatures and we have limited resources. We have limited time. We have limited money, limited talents and things. And what we esteem most valuable in our life will be played out with how we spend those things. I'm not saying don't enjoy those things. I'm saying enjoy them in the light of the gospel. Enjoy them in Jesus Christ. Because if you're not knowing him, then everything you're doing is dog dung. It's absolutely worthless. I've said this before. I'm not, I don't think I'm going to get to the end of my life and say, man, I wish I watched more TV, was rude to more people, um, cheated on my wife, uh, was a jerk to my kids, estranged from them. I, who, who at the end of their life in their right mind would say things like that? Yet we live out lives that are absolutely selfish like that. We live out a life that is just devoid of the gospel, deficient of the gospel. And like the sailors with scurvy, we don't realize it. We think that my marriage is bad, well, it's because they're a jerk. Or my relationships are bad, well, because obviously, again, they're a jerk. Uh, or I'm just type A and nobody can handle me, you know. I'm just amazing. I'm a leader. <laughs> Maybe you're not. Maybe you're just a jerk. If you're not leading people to Jesus, then you're not a good leader. And that is the goal of all of it. So our deficiency and our solution is Jesus Christ. He is that citrus fruit to our scurvy. He is that vitamin C for our soul. We are to know him. And not just in the I know about him way. If I got up here and I said, I know Barack Obama. I'm best friends with him. And you're like, well, prove it, you know. I'm like, well, he came to town, and I shook his hand and said, hello. You're all, and? <laughs> no, that's it. That's all. We're best friends, though. You're like, no, you're not. You're a liar. <laughs> that's what you are. But that's what we do with Jesus, right? I know Jesus. Okay, well, what do you know about him? Well, I know, I know he died for my sins. That's great. Have you put your faith in that? Yeah. Um. Do I recognize him as Lord in my entire life? Nah, well, yeah. You trail off. <laughs> Mostly. But I'm trying harder. I'm working on my resume. <laughs> and God's just sitting there going, you're wasting your time. 
You're wasting your time with idols and with drink and with pleasure. All these things serving and worshiping the created thing rather than the creator, God. We need to know him because in him is life and him is righteousness. Not just know him because I'm saying that you should, but because he's worth it. He's so much more worth it than we realize. If you esteem him correctly, you will be absolutely overwhelmed with who he is. And how we know him, for one, get in the word. Also in fellowship with his people, but especially through relationship with him, which is only made available through Jesus Christ. With Jesus Christ, you can't, as Jesus said, no one can come to the Father but by me. And yet we all want to say, well, I'm spiritual. Maybe, you're, maybe you don't think you're a religious person. I've heard it said like this. There's hard religion, which is like this self-righteous, Judaizer, Ten Commandments, do these things kind of a thing. Then there's this soft religion, which is this, I'm just really spiritual. I'm a really nice person. I'm really good. Um, I give stuff to the, the poor. I, um, I'm really into meditation. You know, whatever. Fill in the, the void here. Both of those are, are lies. Those are straight from hell. But I want you guys to leave here today, and we're almost done. I want you to leave here with the emphasis on why you need to know Jesus. Because your heart is wicked and lame. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm trying to get you to Jesus. If you leave here and you go, man, that was a horrible sermon, or man, that was a good sermon, but you don't go, man, Jesus is awesome. And I am lame, but he has made me awesome with his own blood. Then, then I've wasted my time and your time. I want you to see that knowing him is, is the most important thing. And anything in your life that you would put in place of knowing him is going to disappoint you. A quote I heard uh, from C.S. Lewis, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia. Gonna be, there's a new one coming to theaters in, in December. Um, he, he said... Idols always break the hearts of their worshipers. They always disappoint. I love that quote because it's so true. If you worship and serve your spouse, and it may not be how you think, oh, I'm bowing down to them, but you live for them and and their glory, they're going to disappoint you. If you worship and serve your children and take them to every game and match and club and, and event, and you think this will make them good people, you're going to be disappointed when they break your heart. And they may, they may be the one who's perfectly good and never disappoints you in any sort of way, but they're still always going to be burdened under your expectations. You make yourself into the God in their life and put yourself on the throne in their life. And so pleasing you and appeasing you is their greatest aim and goal. Even if you're a Christian and you claim these things, but then you do this in front of them and you, you treat them this way, you deny the gospel. Do you understand how pivotal that is? If you don't get that, if you don't understand that the gospel is central to everything in your life, it is life. It's not just salvation. It, it's eternal life. It's the whole process of living in response to God, to his love. It's our sanctifier. It is what changes us. Instead, you want to say, I'll do the work myself. Then, then you're going to be so disappointed. You will worship and serve something else. But if we worship and serve Jesus, we can say like Paul, maybe at the end of our life or even now, 
you realize this and you're like, I, I, wanna, I just want to know him. I want to repent of the things that are in the way. I want to turn away from them and I want to love Jesus and know him. And I recognize my marriage stinks. My relationships stink. The way I handle my life, the religious attitude I've been holding, the sin that I've been entangled with, the good things that I'm worshiping as, as God things. It's not that I just need to figure out some 12-step thing and get over those things and find and replace them with some other God. I no longer drink anymore, but I shoot up heroin all the time. But hey, I'm not an alcoholic. <laughs> That's kind of the way we handle stuff, sin in our life. Well, I had a problem with, with the internet, um, so I got rid of it. But I got cable. <laughs> maybe, that's, maybe that's you. It's only in knowing Jesus that you're going to have victory in those things. And so, as I was saying... Where there is a deficiency of the gospel, there is spiritual disease. And you need to be able to begin to discern the disease and rightly apply the gospel in that area of your life. Or you'll never overcome. You'll never have victory in those things. And you won't be living to the glory of God. I love how Paul says this, If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. What he's not saying there, and you may be thinking this, is he's saying, I could be so good right here on earth that I may even just resurrect right now. <laughs> He's not saying I will be so impressive to God. He's saying if by any means I could live now here on this earth like I will be able to live when I am with him forever. When I'm in my resurrected sinless body. That is the hope that we have. And he's saying I, I don't just want to wait for that day. I want that now. I want God to transform and sanctify me as much as possible before I see him. Because I, I see how valuable he is and how worthless anything that would take his place is. So what I want to give you guys a chance to do is hopefully you've gotten to Jesus in this. Hopefully you see him. You don't see me. You don't just see scripture on a page. But it, it's gone to the heart. I want to give you a chance to respond. And we respond with, with worship. Um, and if you need prayer afterward... Uh, Michael and, and Frank and Loretta, a few of you, if you want to come up, you, um, Lindsay, uh, grab somebody and, and grab one of them and they will pray with you. If you don't know Jesus and you, need, and you want to know him for the first time, you can, you can repent of sin and you can come to him and receive his work so that on your resume it will say Jesus Christ. That's the best resume to have. That, that'll get you into anything. <laughs> Get you into the kingdom of God. Don't be counting on yourself. Because you will be disappointed.